Okay. Uh, Zivon did not like it. <laughs> no, just let, just shoot from the hip. Okay. Hello, and welcome back to Famous Last Words. A filmmaking podcast. Just cut right to the chase. Just I know. People got places to do, people to see, and... Uh, <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's only fitting, considering the movie we're talking about this week. What well, movie? We're, we're sort of talking about that movie this week. We're talking about a movie about that movie. This week, we're talking about a documentary from TCM. Heard of them? Yeah. Um, called, I think it's that TCM. Unclear. I don't know. It says TCM original and it has their font. I think uh, it's probably them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is called A Forbidden Orange. So here we go. I very often rewrite the scene with the rehearsal. I was stretched to the limit in many ways, but it was enormously satisfying. I only know I want to be good. So this is a movie about a film festival who puts on the who so we need a little history. So this is a Spanish film festival that puts on uh, a Clockwork Orange, and this was during the Franco uh, dictatorship in Spain, where there was really strict morality laws, um, and this was that kind of the zeitgeist of uh, you know they people were. There was fights. The schools were walking out. They were like sometimes just canceling the whole school year because the, the the students were the the uh, the main rioting group, the main group that would walk out. And they so serious censorship going serious on censorship going on. And uh, the town where this happens is a pretty conservative Catholic town in Spain. It's not like Madrid. It's not Barcelona. It's 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 a little bit in the countryside. It's a smaller place, and at the time, a pretty small place. And they had a film festival that had kind of gone through it had been they were film lovers and they kind of had a history early on of being a religious film festival which is how they got their funding their state funding and they found after like a couple of years that there wasn't all that many great <laughs> uh religious films that would be approved by the state and so they were able to start bringing in foreign films um yeah under the premise of like Culture. The human condition right. and how it relates to spirituality. Right. And uh, so A Forbidden Orange details word of mouth of basically what happened. It's a film by Pedro Gonzalez uh, Bermudas. And uh, he details this whole thing. And it's kind of a crazy story of them trying. The acts that lead up to the movie being screened are kind of more amazing than the screening itself. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you get a sense of what Spain was really like during that time in a bitter civil war and and um, just kind of the attitude of the people and the attitude of young people to really trying to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. The film does a really great job of like centering up what ha- is happening during that time in history. Even if you know almost nothing, you can kind of glom onto it and understand. Um, and then... It builds the anticipation of the film, A Clockwork Orange, coming to a place that has such high censorship and it's such a provocative film, even, yeah, especially when it was made. So um, it does a really good job of setting the stage. And then the, 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 they do drop eventually like their thesis about censorship. 
Right, that kind of comes in near the end. So if, if there's anything structurally weird with this movie, it's that at the end of the movie, they kind of start talking about the main issue, which is like how censorship actually bred maybe a more radical culture, right? Yeah, and it's a little bit like, so we have a history of a lot of, with this, you know, we have a history of states censorship or, you know, country censorship like wide. Um, and it's sort of implying that like, We've instituted a somewhat self-censorship in the way that we make art right now with everything that, you know, every with like woke culture and being political correct and not wanting to offend anyone and like all of these, you know, positive, progressive, moving forward sentiments. But then art becomes a difficult place to live in that. And it's like what essentially they're, they're implying that like, this film by Stanley Kubrick, one of the greatest directors of our time, would never be made right now. And, you know, it's not just, it's not a film that just shows violence and... Violence against women. But particularly violence against women for no reason. Like, it is trying to say something and it is show, throwing it in your face in order to say that. And so the, you know, the debate within the film and just in the art world in general is like, you know... Like, how does how does censorship work? Are we censoring ourselves in this age and particularly censoring our art? In self-censoring. Self-censoring. Even more particularly self-censoring our art that is made for entertainment reasons, but it's still art and it's still made to get you to think. It's an accessible form of art. But I think, you know, fine arts, you can kind of get away with certain things or experimental art. And then, but films... You, you do have like producers and people basically saying like, no, you can't do this because of this reason. And it's because it's a more accessible art form. Yeah, I think there's um, the provocateurs often get a lot of attention. You know, the Gaspar Noe's of the world, the Nicholas Winding reference uh, get attention. But it's true. We very, you know, there's a lot of people who have a very hard time and in this day and age, separating the filmmaker's intent with the, or, or or conflating the filmmaker's intent with their actual beliefs. So if you want to make a movie about, you know, this movie, it would be an attack on Stanley. Co- like if this was movie, movie was made today, it one mm-hmm. wouldn't get be made by Warner Brothers. Yes. <laughs> um, two, it would be an attack on is Stanley Kubrick misogynistic. You know, is Stanley Kubrick, you know, sexist or condone violence towards women because he puts them in his movies, which which is a complicated issue in and of itself. But also, like, are we if you want to make an issue that examines something or looks at something or, you know, I guess you have to make it a documentary. You can't make a, a non-narrative movie. Right. Yeah. So you like, have to that's make a the ex- movie. Yeah, that's the extreme this extreme ver- like thought process of it right now and the debate of this film is like, have we gone a little too far? And using, um, you know, historical moments and times where films were being censored by an outside party, now they're being censored by like an inner, the inner circle <laughs> of creators. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I jumped a little bit forward into <laughs> the end of the film and what it's trying to get at but 
on the documentary side about A Clockwork Orange, I really did enjoy that it it wasn't just a straightforward documentary about the making of Clockwork Orange. It did interject some moments of that, which was really cool, mm-hmm. but it was about this very specific moment in time. And a lot of the inter- interviews were with people who had seen the film at the time in this film festival or somewhere else and like the anticipation of going to see it and, and getting to hear their actual experiences with their first time seeing the film. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that even growing, when I was growing up, it had a reputation as like this movie that's like, you know, you, you still get that occasionally with movies. It's like this movie's so fucked up. You're like, you know, you're not going to believe what you see. And in some ways in this day and age, I think A Clockwork Orange um, proceed like it overhypes itself based on how we're so much used to a lot of things. I mean, it is extreme, but it also feels like the 1970s. Yeah. Yeah. It has a very 1970s aesthetic. It's it has its own reputation now as like a very violent and provocative film. Um, I mean, same thing with the book. The book is also equally as violent. And like the only difference with the book, I think, is that he, um, you know, they in the end, he turns good or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. And Stanley Kubrick chose not to do that and to be a little bit more vague about it. Yeah, he, he chose a, a, to diverge the ending a little bit. From yeah. What had been seen. Which is, I think, book. which I like um, because I think like, you know, once you get to be a certain age, people don't change, and this character would not change once he figured out he can get around. He's also like insanely young in the book, is he not? Like he's like thirteen years old or something, fourteen. No, years he's old. older. I mean, he's not like super. He's like seventeen or eighteen. He's a little younger than the film, but he's not. Right. Okay. Because he, the weird thing about the book, is that he sleeps with much much younger g- girls than the film. Right. And that's like really, right. really He's, bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I don't think that, I think like the most interesting part, I mean, they also have Malcolm McDowell who does some narrating mm-hmm. of his, some couple of nuggets of knowledge of what he went through for him making the movie. But really he's there kind of like they got him and he's going to narrate some of the movie. Yeah. Because um, all the Spanish interviews are really interesting about like how they kind of made this happen and like, you know, appeals straight to Stanley Kubrick and like <laughs> you know um I think that though the the conversation around whether or not it should be done or could be done is really complicated because I feel like there's we expect our movies to do a certain thing in this day and age and I think this movie just straight up just not get made mm-hmm. or get made in a very indie kind of way and they would the movie would be made in a way that, like, the production value, it would linger. Like, the sexuality in this movie is, like, not sexy. It's not passionate. It's... It's violent. It's violence. And that's what he's into. That's what Alex is into in the movie. Mm-hmm. He's into violence. And the society that they're in. Right. And, like, this, they, if this movie was made today, or I think that the conversation would be at is, like, how do we tame the sexual violence to be a place where he like maybe actually cares about the like there'd be a lot of like you couldn't just straight up have violence for violence sake towards women Mm -hmm. like this movie has yeah it would have to have more of like a deep dive of the reason why the character is this way and blah 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 like good some films are great at that but i think in this film they're just like this is the society that we live in in this film this is the world and 
it's quickly explained as like it's not right it's horrendous but like we're gonna let you feel the horrendousness of it and like not try to shy away from it because I think it's the huge appeal of the the book and the film it's a dystopian world it's not meant to be like saying this is how you should live and this is you know how you should act it's like no these are the the outcasts of a society that's that is completely broken and so they are the worst of the worst right and yeah and it it's really interesting too that they were worried about this movie like inciting more violence and the people that saw it were just like they're just like film nerds they're film nerds (laughs) they're like yeah it was a movie like you know it's not like yeah let's go do violence against women and like riot in the streets it's like because their life was so fucked up that they're they, they it's escapist. It was mm-hmm. it, that's how the, you know nothing bad happened. They didn't mm-hmm. you know they they reference in the trailer like there's a bomb threat and the guy's just like you know what let's just get like it's just people trying to disrupt this movie showing and they don't even realize what it is. Yeah, and so the other thing I liked about the documentary, I think that's um, what I was about to say. Go on about the ending. Yeah, yeah. So, um. So you inter- so they're interviewing a lot of people who were there in the 70s at like the premiere of it and then at the end they have a group of like six or seven um younger people um probably in their 20s who have all pretty much heard of a clockwork orange but have some, never of, them s- hadn't some had- of them hadn't yeah you're yeah. right so and they some asked had, some of them didn't know who stanley cooper was yeah so they asked them like do you know clockwork orange do you know stanley Kubrick? do you know about any of this and how it was like banned and then it came and all that so like some of them were like yeah i heard of it but i've never seen it and then don't they all watch it they all watch it and then they're the ones that give their perspective and that really pushes home the like censorship yeah because some of them are kind of and i and i don't 100 percent remember the exactly what they said i didn't write it down but what the consensus on some of them is is it's like is it morally correct to be making this kind of movie yeah which to me is like very i mean they're all younger than we are so they're in their teens 20s was the age group of the students and it's just so interesting to to me to be like well if you you know if you have the story to tell like you should tell it you should do the right thing but like are you like i don't know it's very interesting it was very appalling and you know (laughs) i mean like all the because it's like our parents' generation, people our parents' generation, and maybe a little bit older fought to have these things even be able to be seen or shown or made, and now we're kind of like, well, you know, like people might find this upsetting. Yeah, but then at the same time, I think about some of the things that my parents did and uh, watched and interacted with, and I was like, what? How how are they allowed to do that? You know? So it's like right. it happens like generationally. So like things that we think, oh yeah, this is fine, this is art. People are like, wow, how are they allowed to do that? Um, so it was just interesting to hear both generational perspectives. And the, the filmmakers don't particularly take a side. They, they don't. Just they just, laid it, they're doing it a really great documentary thing where they're just saying the story. Yeah. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no. I would, I, you know, it would be great. And maybe I'm just putting myself out there in the podcast in a way I shouldn't be. It'd be great to talk to someone who programs like a Christian film festival. Is like, what are you actually looking for? Because that's like the other extreme, right? Because we have a lot of friends that are just like, show me the most fucked up shit. Um, <laughs> Sounds like we, we run with a bad crowd. <laughs> no, I mean, we run with a very open mind. 
listen, for a lot of our friends, John Waters is no no problem. Um, yeah, I mean, but it would be, it, it's just, you know, like, we should watch, you know, whatever the number one Christian film in the country is and do a comparison to Pink Flamingos. I don't know. No, but it'd be, it's just interesting, like, people, morality and media. Mm-hmm. It'd be a really interesting thing to talk to someone about. Yeah, I mean, and it's so weird that this film, the documentary revolves around a, what was still basically a Christian film festival showing the most, one of the most morale ambiguous films of our time. And, you know, it's it's just a really cool story. And I think they do a good job of, of taking you through it and then discussing, you know, the the difficult thing that is art and censorship and being morally responsible, but still telling the stories of humans. Yeah, and I think it's just a, an interesting place where we are. And there's I've been thinking a lot about like this n- the newest generation who are becoming adults. The Gen Zers are all becoming adults now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like, what are the, how, like, how do they, like, that was who they were interviewing at the end of the movie. But like, I feel like it's all over the map. I feel a lot of people, a lot of, Oddly enough, I bet you a lot of parents nowadays are like, you can't watch Clockwork Orange. It's too oh, I'm extreme. Sure. I think a lot of people are probably even haven't even seen it. Yeah. Because of self-imposed on, censorship. I was going to say, we're sort of on the edge of like, depending on who your parents were, is what you were allowed to watch. Um, because I saw it, but I was a little bit older. But like, there were certain things. I think if my mom had any way, she would not have let me watch it at all. I, yeah, I watched it probably when I was a teenager, and the thing about your parents and my parents is they're movie lovers. Mm-hmm. They 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 all for the art of movies, like you know they they think of it as like the, one of the highest art forms. Both yeah, our families, for sure. And so like this is a movie that is like one of the like this is one of the fifty greatest movies ever made. Yeah, and it is by one of the maybe our greatest filmmaker ever. And you know, I mean, that's yeah. just kind of like the esteem that of which he's held. Um, it's an incredible film, and the acting is just so amazing. The fact that you can pretend to be these characters is just a feat in itself. And, like, the directing, of course, is just... Ins- it's insane. Like, Stanley Kubrick was... You know, I assume he was a morally <laughs> up-and-down kind of guy, but, like, his mm. films are just spectacular, and it would be a whole different world if he didn't exist. Right, where he had been censored. Yeah. And you've been told you can't make that movie because we don't think there's an audience for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we have artists that truly can I mean, maybe Quentin Tarantino, maybe Martin Scorsese, but they still answer to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and Full Metal Jacket. I mean, that's so violent and so deep into... The horrors of war. Yeah. It's just terrible. and But such a good, good film, and it, it impacted people so much. Yeah. That's the one that I had a hard time watching. For. That's, that's the... the latest Stanley Kubrick movie I ever that's the last one I ever saw mm-hmm. um, I saw like Louita and Dr. Strangelove and Shining much earlier I saw, Shining was the first one I saw I saw that after my junior prom at like 3 in the morning wow that's what we were doing that's uh, <laughs> a whole group of us a whole lot of fun <laughs> um, back to Stanley Kubrick as a genius just quickly you know there's mistakes I like to point out the um the, when they're walking outside the apartment block and there's like the reflecting pool and he pushes them into the water and like the, the light is just mm-hmm. natural light is just pouring in 
in some shots it's overcast in the next because they've probably shot over days mm -hmm. Stanley Kubrick um, and also they had to probably switch out for the high speed camera to like do the slow motion um, we forgive some mistakes that would movie drag movies now so we're not we're not only more discerning which is not a bad thing all the time we're not only are we more discerning and more like we need to fix every mistake we like we expect our you know we expect our movies to shoot like sony cameras like <laughs> sony DS, uh, mirrorless cameras no noise yeah. clean as clean as a whistle imperfections be damned yeah and it's the instagramification the social mediafication of our lives that we expect our lives to be glossy and perfect and and these movies from the 70s have a lot of imperfections that i think is humanistic mm -hmm. although instagram is not glossy well, and perfect although the filters kind of create a true. bone nostalgia that's a whole another topic we can't get into because we've 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 run out of time we've run out of time yeah we ran out of time <laughs> except for our oh our mailbag uh wait do we have one today yeah we have a mailbag are you sure who's yeah. in where do you get these things uh, from? From the mailbag. <laughs> what is the mailbag? It's, I've always it's been right wondering. Over there. You see it? All right, ready? All right, yep. Yeah, I didn't need. To. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well done on the sound effects. Thank you. Um, Mo the third. Um, I'm guessing Mo the third stooge. Um, <laughs> he goes. I know you may have. I know you may have been asked this question before, but I'm interested. Um, what? Is the hardest part about making movies as a couple creating as a couple? We've talked about that before, I think. Yeah. But not maybe not as directly. The hardest part or the best part? Because I got like a million best things. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, the hardest part. Um, unless you got one queued up. Um, I think the the hardest thing is remembering too that like I don't know other everyone. I think a lot of creative people that end up partnering, um, getting married or whatever, uh, end up in a situation where they want to create with their partner and it's not always the right thing to do. Yeah. I think, you know, I can think of some couples who try to collaborate and just can't, they can't work together. Um, I think it, the, the hardest part that we, that I think we've gotten really good at is you don't conflate your emotional requirements of your relationship to be uh, indicative of your artistic collaboration. Yeah, I think that's along the lines of what I was going to say is... You can't just say, yeah, your answer's mine. <laughs> My answer's your answer. No. <laughs> We're having it. This is the hardest part this, right now. <laughs> this is it. Um, oftentimes, because I act more as in the editor role, whether that's like for the writing for the script or literally editing the film um a lot of times what i have to not be the struggle is like you and i not taking it personally mm -hmm. basically you're saying um where like give especially giving critiques we're trying to cut things out like i'm not doing it to be mean and like i don't i feel bad <laughs> doing it sometimes but it's it's just about the work and giving constructive criticism so i think when you're in a emotional partnership it's harder to give constructive criticism without you know there there is moments where we do take it personally and we we get in a little <laughs> tiny fight or emotional distress about it and then we you know reset and determine what to do and um i think prepping a film i think is where we get more 
more of our anxiety, more of our tension out um, later. We're editing together in a way and it's we're trying not to beat ourselves up about mistakes of the past, <laughs> which feels like we're doing that together versus when we're prepping a film. I have my opinion and you have yours. And sometimes we're very, very stubborn about it and like right. go back and forth about it for a long time. But I think that's part of that's a healthy part of the process. Mm -hmm. I think as we've gone on now, having been married for 10 years and together for a lot longer than that, I think a big part of our process is that talking out and maybe we get a little grumpy at each other, but it's never like, fuck you, your ideas are shit. Yeah. It's always just like, <laughs> no, I really want to do this. And you're like, well, I don't think it's like, you know, we don't have, we, there's not enough hours of nighttime to shoot. <laughs> Mine's always like, you, well, usually a practical thing. I'm, I'm a pretty pragmatic person. I'm like, we don't have enough time. We don't, we can't do this. This is too much. Cut down the shots. <laughs> yeah. But I think we've learned to work really well together and I really enjoy it. I mean, one of the only reasons why I make films is because I can make them with you. Same. Same Aww. as these. We're so cute. Oh, yeah. As now you all die a death spasm of cuteness. <laughs> uh, look up a picture of our dog. It will just, it'll just put the nail in the proverbial cuteness coffin. Oh, yes. Especially the one on our webcast, uh, on our website, Obscura Broadcasting Company. Under the podcast section, there's a picture of our dog with a yep. microphone. Contributing. So cute. Contributing doggo. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, <laughs> we here at Famous Last Words will be taking next week off uh, for uh, summertime fun time reasons. See, I'm going to try to do a thing here to allow you time to schedule in the morning that you will not be listening to us next week. But we will be back the following week with comparisons, interviews, and regular old fashioned reviews. reviews. Um, we're probably just going to be hung over from seeing Barbie and Oppenheimer in person. So, uh, <laughs> emotionally hung over. <laughs> emotionally hung over. <laughs> from so many ups and downs. <laughs> Uh, well, All thank right. you so much for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. Bye. Bye.